0: Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In Season 4, we're talking all about inspirational travel stories. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Zaya B. Zaya is a curious explorer at heart, whether exploring remote corners of the world or the depth of her own being. Taking a year-long solo trip around the world in 2000, expanded her experience of life and set her up for creating a unique path. Notice this was before the time of the influence of Instagram and influencers and all such things. So, after that adventure, she never worked for anyone else again. She was an independent organizational change consultant and then had her own consulting firm for 10 years until 2019. In the time since, she has reinvented her life to be one of fulfillment, of doing only what lights her up. She is now an abstract artist, co author of a best selling book, and podcast host of Your Hell Yes Life where she celebrates women living life on their own terms. I loved this conversation. You are going to love Zaya so much. She's a total inspiration. So without further ado, here is the episode. Before we dive in, this season's episodes will come to you uninterrupted and ad-free. I know that you'll be inspired by the stories you hear this season. And if you need help taking the leap yourself, I encourage you to check out the resources listed in the show notes or visit my website, www.travelshifters.com. Whether you are seeking a remote job, a career break, or pursuing a different travel possibility, there are resources and services for every budget, including free. If you have any questions, my DMs are always open at the Travel Shifters. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Travel Possibilities podcast. I have another great interview episode for you today. So Zaya, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you tell us about yourself and your background? Sure.
1: So I am a curious explorer at heart. It's just who I am, whether it's exploring the world, exploring myself, exploring other people. Yeah, it's it's just my essence. And I love to get everything I can out of life. I love to constantly be learning, constantly be experiencing things. So Besides my travel, I've done a marathon, I've done a triathlon, I've done a 100-mile bike ride, I've climbed Kilimanjaro, I've climbed Mount Whitney in the U.S. I have been a rock climber, a sailor, kayaker. Uh, Now, lately, I've been tapping into more of my creative side. So I took poetry classes and storytelling classes and painting and singing. I've been a dancer for years, so freeform dance, done tons of personal development work you know, that's the different kind of exploration that's going in instead of going out. So yeah, it's just like almost I picture myself as I'm talking with a big magnifying glass and I'm just looking at everything. I'm just trying to understand and connect with everything that there is in life. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. That's who I am. I don't know if you want to know about work or anything like that, but that's more just who I am. We'll get to
0: that. Okay. So I love that. And the thing with these intros is that it sends me off on a tangent that I never intended on talking about, but like, there's so much good stuff there. I love your attitude and your perspective. And I think it's so exciting. And personally, I feel like I kind of view the world the same way. And you mentioned singing specifically. And like my secret dream is to take singing lessons, but I'm horrible. And I'm like, always wondering, is it possible to improve your singing? Were you a singer before you started taking lessons?
1: No, this was lockdown craziness. I took wait a minute, craziness, but I took so many classes during lockdowns. I'm in San Francisco, and the lockdowns were—I don't want to say extreme, but they were not a joke here. Like we we were caged up for quite a while, and so no, it was—I think it was more like a free year voice kind of a thing. None of us were going to come out and take a stage. It was just different practices and getting comfortable. So we would do breakouts where we literally sang to one person which is a really bizarre experience. And then, you know, we did some group singing. We did some where we sang as just a single person to the group. So it was definitely about just getting out there and being bold enough to share your voice. Like, I think it'd be great to be a singer, but I'm realizing that it actually takes a lot of, besides talent, a lot of studying and practicing. And I I don't know that I'm focused on it enough to make that happen.
0: Fair enough. But good for you for doing that. That is so bold and feels so vulnerable. And wow, good for you. (laughs) So I think we do need to get a little bit into your work history in order to get to the travel story that we're going to be talking about today. So why don't you tell us a bit about your career background?
1: Sure. So I graduated from college. And, you know, as much as I taunted my mom and said I was going to move to New Zealand and shear sheep, I followed the more traditional path that was pretty much the path back when I graduated college. There was none of this. I'm going to just go be an Instastar and work for myself. That just didn't exist. So I got a great job. I was a management trainee at a, an insurance company and got amazing training there and then started working for one of the large consulting firms. And so that was one thing that I think influenced me in that I was constantly on the road for long chunks of time. And so I was always having to land in a new place, figure everything out, connect with people, get into a new client, understand their problems. And so it made me very flexible, adaptable, and resilient of you land, you have a new home, you have a new client, you have to solve their problems, go. And, you know, looking back, I realized the influence that that had. So I was with that firm for about four years. And then we'll get into the story. But it was actually at my last project with him, I was working in Australia. I was there for about eight months or so. And I just really was not ready to go back to the U.S. I had actually given up my apartment in New York because I was on the road so much that it didn't make sense to have a home. So I had a storage unit in New York, but that was it. I didn't have any other reason to come back necessarily. And so I decided, you know what? I'm gonna take a sabbatical. And so I took an eight month sabbatical that turned into a year and we can talk about that. And then when I did come back, I didn't wanna get into consulting anymore, but you know, girls gotta pay her bills. That's what I knew how to do. And so I was able to get contract work, which again, back there and was just unheard of. So that was a blast. I worked for myself and I would work on a project. And when the project ended, I would go travel for several months and I'd come back and work on another project. So I did that for several years. And then I actually opened my own consulting firm where I still did some consulting, but other people were working for me. And to the point where, you know, I told clients, look, I'm off grid. Like if we need to sign contracts, it has to happen before I go. And that didn't happen. And so I vividly remember being at this jungle lodge in Africa and getting an email. It was like, hey, we need to fax this contract to you right away. And I happened to be in a place that I could get a fax. And I was like, this is crazy that this is how I can do business now. But so I was able to sign the contract and get somebody some work. So I did the consulting through 2019. Out of the 25 years of consulting, honestly, I wanted to be out of it for 20. It was fine. I liked helping my clients. I had a good life but it wasn't soul fulfilling work like i was working with these large companies i was doing change management organizational change so i was doing the people side of it but you know we were implementing new systems implementing new processes like this is not world changing stuff and in 2 years you're probably undoing everything we did anyway when the new system comes along so it was always gnawing at me but i didn't really know what i wanted to do and so i just kept going at one point at 40 i actually jumped out and i started a jewelry and photography business and that crashed and burned and I had health issues from it. And I went dragging back into consulting. And then finally, when I was older, I've always been good at saving and investing. And I thought, that's it, I'm out. My client at the time had been found guilty of causing the fires in California that created death and destruction. And I thought, you know, besides really having other issues, I cannot work with this company anymore. I can't be part of this. And just in general, you know, you are not close to midlife, but let me tell you, when you get to midlife, you've got a very low tolerance for BS anymore. And it's like, okay, that's it. I need to get myself into alignment. Spoke to my financial planner. He's like, how much do you think you need a month? And I told him, he's like, fine, you're retired. You're done. (laughs) So I'm not done, done, but I'm pretty close. And so that was 2019. I always thought early retirement would be great. And honestly, it's boring because (laughs) nobody else is around at that age. You know, I'm single, so it's not like I had a partner and even if I did, you know, he would probably be off working. So 2019 was an odd year, so 2020, being a traveler, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get a one-way ticket, head to Mexico, and then I'll just blow with the wind and figure things out for until I don't want to travel anymore, and I will figure out where I want to live, I will find whatever my purpose is, and I will find my partner. You know, no pressure on this trip that I'm going to figure my entire life out. So, I got to a small town in Mexico. Well, I'm going beyond the work thing. I don't know if you want to know all this. Well, I want to know all of this. This is also good. <laughs> just realized you asked me about work and I'm like rambling on.
0: I'm loving it. We're going to get to all of it. I also bought a one way ticket to Mexico in 2020. So, like, I almost feel like we need to talk more about that. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> Where is the small town in Mexico that you went?
1: Zipolite. It's on the south. Do you know Zipolite? Yes. Oh, you do?
0: Yeah. It's such a tiny town. I went to Oaxaca City mostly. (laughs) Oh,
1: and I wanted to get to Oaxaca and the whole, you know, everything was closed. And so I just never, I remember driving to the airport when I was leaving and the signs were there and I was like, no, you have to go back. Yeah. Oh
0: my goodness. Okay. We'll take a step back. First of all, I want to say that I don't know if you know, like, my podcast has had different themes for each season and you would have fit perfectly like into every single theme <laughs> because the first one was about career breaks and sabbaticals. And then the third season was about travel jobs. You went to Australia as a management consultant. My goodness, that's so cool. So really, there's a lot to talk about. But let's go back to your sabbatical. How did you make this decision at that time and tell us what year it was and all of that and what was going through your head and your decision process on that?
1: Yeah. So. When, you know, it was a high-pressure job, and so just as I was getting promoted to manager, I decided I was going to take three months off, and I was going to head down to South America. I had done a semester abroad, and so travel was kind of lingering in the back of my mind. But again, that day and age, when you graduated college, you got a real job. I mean, not to say everybody, but most people, that's what you did. You didn't just pick up and travel the world. So it was still hanging in the back of my head. And so when I reached that, that career goal that I had, I thought, I'm going to go take a few months off. I ended up needing to cancel that for a few personal reasons, family reasons, but the idea didn't go away. And then when I was living in Phoenix for a project, I had a boyfriend there and it was his dream to travel around the world. And I thought, ooh, that sounds interesting. I was gonna go just for you know three months to South America. But to travel around the whole world, I was like, oh, ooh, I like that. That sounds cool. Do be noted. That's going in the back of my mind. And so then when I was working in Australia, the project ended. And I was not ready to come back to the U.S. And so I thought, okay, I guess this is my time. I don't have anything to go back to. As I said, I don't have an apartment. I wasn't paying rent on anything. Nobody was waiting for me. And so I decided to take an eight-month sabbatical at that point. That is
0: so exciting. So you decided. So then did you talk to your employer? Were they on board with the idea that you would take this time off and then return to your job?
1: Yeah. I mean, especially as a consulting firm, it's not like I had a specific position. Everything is project-based. So if I'm not there, it's not like, oh, my gosh, we don't have anybody doing the dot, dot, dot. It's just okay. You're just not. It was an unpaid sabbatical, but it wasn't a big deal for them. The one when I first talked about it, I did get pressure for them of, you know, most people are so excited to be manager and I can't believe you want to leave. And I was like, well, I worked hard. I'm excited also. I just react to things differently and I'm going to go celebrate my promotion and everybody else can keep working hard. So I think I had kind of broken them in a little bit, knowing that there was going to be one earlier. And then, yeah. So when this one came up, it was kind of like, well, okay, I guess she's going to just do her thing.
0: Very cool. So you're like, okay, now I'm going to go travel the world. How did you go about deciding where you were going to go and planning your trip?
1: It was a little bit of this and that. So I bought a one-way round the world ticket. I think they still exist. Mm -hmm. And it's, so it's an actual, you know, Ticket that is purchased as a whole. And then part of the rules with that was that I had to continue going in one direction and I could only go a certain amount of miles. I could buy some extra miles, but for the most part, I was going to try and stay within that. So it was based on that. I'm also a slow traveler. I like to really stay in a place. So in the whole year, I think I only went to 10 countries. Some of it is, you know, we can get into it, but I ended up in Australia for about four months, which I wouldn't have done if things had worked out differently, but we can talk about that. So My brother had been to Nepal and loved it. And I thought, okay, that sounds good. I'll go to Nepal. And then the boyfriend whose dream it was to travel the world, he had an ex-girlfriend who had also taken on his dream. And she had already done the around the world trip. She had been to Tibet. And he said, I think you need to talk to her. She went to Nepal and she has really strong feelings about Tibet. So when I spoke to her, she said, no, if you're going to be the region, you have to go. And she was right. And so I went to Tibet. Uh, I was living in Australia, so New Zealand was just a given. It's right there. So I started in New Zealand. The same ex-boyfriend's brother had climbed Kilimanjaro, and I thought, okay, that sounds interesting. I'll climb Kilimanjaro. And then while you're in that area, of course, you're going to do a safari and go to the Serengeti. So that's where Africa was added in. I was going to go to Zanzibar, but there were riots and things going on at the time. And so I changed that and ended up going to the Seychelles. So Nepal, Tibet. I don't remember, honestly, how Singapore got added in. Maybe I was just curious. It was a very short stay in Singapore anyway. And then back down to Australia, I was supposed to travel in Australia, just the East Coast and a little bit of the middle. And it was going to be not that long, you know, well, not that long in for me. It was about six weeks. (laughs) And my company went public and they wanted to get their head count down. So they were actually paying people to go on sabbatical. But since I was already on sabbatical, I was not eligible for that. And instead, I just got laid off which was fine by me, because honestly, I wanted to leave the job and I was just not having the guts to walk away from the money. So I thought, okay, now I have more time. And so I just since I was already in Australia, I just extended my time in Australia. So I traveled all over Australia, spent six weeks just on the West Coast. And then when I was done with all of that and I was about to head back to Melbourne, I had a boyfriend in Melbourne and he said, the weather down here is awful. And I thought, well, there's no reason to return to that. I'll just go to Bali. So I went to Bali, what was supposed to be for a week. I am originally from New York. The last place I worked was World Trade Center. I arrived in Bali on September 9th, 2001. So two days later, we know what happened. I just couldn't cope with the world. And so I stayed in Bali until my visa expired. So for two months and then went back to Australia. So that was it. It was a little of this and that of this person recommended that just some you know random things like Bali came just because I was on the West Coast of Australia. At that point, nobody knew about Bali except for Australians. And it was close and I heard it was interesting. And so why not? Wow.
0: Very cool. So just to reiterate, this was 2000, 2001. And what a, that's so crazy that you worked in New York and like, this is all happening. And that's really just life altering and nice that you can be away from it all to sort of heal and cope with it and not have to worry about work and all of that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It was a very strange time to be traveling.
0: Absolutely. So Given the fact that this was 2000 before Bali is what it is today, and we all know what Bali is today because we've seen it on Instagram, can
1: you tell us what Bali was like? Well, my experience was even more unusual because after September 11th, nobody was flying. I mean, the world was basically on lockdown, so it was very empty. Even the areas that had some people, so you know, for those that are listening, I know Ubud. You know, Ubud was kind of the center of a lot of the tourism, and people were sitting there watching. TV watching this disaster as if it was a movie. And I just, I couldn't be around any of that. And I also like to be super remote anyway. Whenever I travel, I get off the beaten path. So I found one place that I just adored and that became kind of my base. And I would travel from there. But it was number one, insanely cheap because nobody was traveling. So I had rooms for $2 a night. I had a moped for a dollar or two a day. You know, food was 50 cents, whatever. But it was the people there are just, beyond loving and welcoming and friendly and delightful. And I just really sunk into connecting with them. I mean, I spent all my time with locals. They were just so, yeah, I mean, I keep saying the same words, but just beautiful and caring. Like after this happened, I had taken a meditation class. I hadn't really meditated before. I had taken a meditation class when I first arrived. And then September 11th happened. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need something. And I went back to the class. And the teacher, when he saw me, his face lit up and he said, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy you're here. When I heard what happened, I was hoping you would come back. And, you know, who thinks about somebody like that? Just a stranger, you know, some tourist coming through. And I was walking through a park one day and when they do their offerings for temples, they bring tons and tons of food. They offer the essence. They leave a little bit there and then they take the food and they go have picnics with it. So this family was sitting in a park. And inviting me to come eat with them, I said no, 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 I don't need to interrupt. No, 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 come. They were insistent that I come and enjoy the picnic with them, and then they wanted to drive me around because I was an anomaly there. You know, not just that people weren't traveling, but again, I go to these places that other people don't go to, and I also really like to fit into their culture. So in their temples, they wear a lacy top. The women wear a lacy top. So one of the women that I would become friendly with had loaned me one of those tops so that I could go into the temples. And so I went to temple ceremonies with them. And I remember there was one location I went to. Again, no tourists would ever go there. I got quite tan. So I looked a little bit like them. My hair was pulled back. It was a midnight service. I was sitting on the ground. And this woman starts talking to me, Balinese. And I looked and I was like, what? And she's like, oh my gosh, you're not Balinese. I mean, I just kind of blended in with them. I mean, obviously not, but to a certain extent. And it just was healing. And you mentioned the word earlier, healing, but to be in a really simple place in terms of, you know, it doesn't have all the hubbub that it has now. It was, we would eat fish with our hands and I went fishing with them a few times and then I would go to temple with them and I would go snorkeling. And it was just a beautiful experience to get to know them, to get to know their culture, to be in such a gorgeous place, right? The colors, the greens are so green. The blue sky is so blue. The fruits are so juicy you know, it was just, I, you know, I went rice picking with one person. I went to their temple. I mean, I just had all kinds of extraordinary experiences there.
0: Wow. I love how you're describing all of this. And it sounds so incredible and probably much different than people like experiences people are having nowadays there, but it sounds like you really like to immerse yourself in wherever you're at and just sort of go with the flow. But do you plan any activities? Was there anything in any of these destinations that you're like, I have to do this? Or what's your approach once you get somewhere?
1: That's a good question. I plan a little bit, but I am probably mostly a go with the flow person. And I love synchronicities and I love learning from somebody else. Like, oh, where did you just come from? Was it good? What did you like? What did you not like? Yeah. I mean, some things I planned, like I knew I wanted to climb Kilimanjaro. I knew I wanted to do a safari when I was in Africa while I was climbing Kilimanjaro I met two Austrian guys who were headed to Egypt and I've always wanted to see the pyramids. So I went with them and we, oh, I did go to Egypt. I forgot that country also. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how that one came about. I just met two guys who were going to Egypt and I joined them. So if I'm going somewhere that's like, you know, a bucket list type of place, like, oh my gosh, you have to see it. I'll plan that. Other things I'll have in the back of my mind of, you know, this is a special temple. Maybe I'll want to see that or a natural landscape, I'll definitely want to see it, but it's not that I have to be here at this time and I'm going to go on this date because that's the beauty of extended travel as well of, oh, I'm tired today. Oh, it's raining today. Oh, whatever. And just let things unfold. And I feel like that's just led to just experiences that I couldn't have possibly planned. The people that I've met, the things that I've been invited into by locals, you know, that I'm just sitting in their local restaurant. And instead of rushing off to the tour that I have planned, I'm invited to dance with locals.
0: I love that so much. And I think it's so important. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording, I was saying how like initially when I first started traveling, I was just so obsessed with seeing certain things. I'm like, I have to see this, 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 and this, because like my approach to travel was to make sure that everyone at home knew I made the right decision to quit my job and go traveling. And so I had to succeed and achieve in my travels by doing all the cool things. But in reality, I got burnt out and I was tired and the best travel experiences I had were once I slowed down, once I let things happen, once I was able to meet and integrate with local people, immerse myself in the culture. So I am a huge fan of slow travel as well. I think it's so important and your experiences are going to be drastically different if you're open to it.
1: Yeah, I love hearing that because I get that if you only have a week or two that you need to plan a little bit more. But I also think it's important to leave some flexibility in that because if I look back at all of my most memorable experiences, I'd say 95% of them were those unplanned moments where I was invited into somebody's house or into somebody's life or, you know, just sat down with a meal or whatever it was, whether it's even another tourist or a local, it's connecting in ways that I could not have possibly planned and just being open to what could possibly happen is amazing. I totally agree, and I think it's very important,
0: like especially if you're new to travel, I know sometimes the world can feel scary, but still remaining open in these new places because like it takes time to just let go it's it's not so scary. It's amazing. The people are so generous and so kind. I know I have mostly u s listeners here, so it's important to talk about that and realize that we're not necessarily the best. There's like a lot of other things to learn out there. There's a lot of ways to open your mind to a lot of ways to do things differently and really just be open to the experience. It's incredible.
1: Yeah. I'm going to say hell yes to all of that that you said (laughs) that. Yeah. We are definitely not the best. And honestly, I feel less safe in San Francisco and less safe in the U S in general than I do in most places in the world between gun issues, homeless issues, all of the divisiveness. Now I just, you don't experience things like that. And that sadly, I mean, I don't, we don't need to get into it, but that's our reputation now as well, that people are scared to come to the U.S. because of all the gun violence that they hear about. And so to think about, you know, we always think of like, oh, U.S. is best and this is great. And then to hear, you know, people from Australia, it's not like people who are, you know, living in some far off crazy place that don't really understand the U.S. They're saying, no, I don't want to, I don't want to go every day. There's another headline of more shootings. Yet, like a lot of
0: Americans are the ones that are afraid to travel to other places. It doesn't really add up. Yeah. Okay. So on your trip, you went with the flow. You planned a few things here and there. Can you tell us about your modern day travels and compare it with your travels on your sabbatical? Because. Technology has come a long way. We have Google Maps. We have Yelp. We have all of these things so that you're always connected and can find things. How did you go about finding restaurants or activities or anything while you were traveling back in 2000? Well, there are these crazy things that we have
1: called books.
0: Wait, what's
1: that? <laughs> yeah. they have Lots of these. There's this like paper stuff and it's glued together. Yeah. So in a lot of places I did have a book like a lonely planet. I don't know if you've even heard of these things, of but you know, there's lonely planet <laughs> and promers and Fodors and Rick Steves and there's all these things. And so if I was gonna be somewhere for a long time, I often would have a book. You know, I would try and find something often, you know, there's no such thing as a Kindle, and you don't want to walk around with 20 books. So you, you know, hit up a local bookstore and see if there was somebody left an old one behind or something like that. And then it was, again, just talking to people to get ideas. It was a little more rogue. And the other thing is travel agents. So all of the flights were booked through travel agents. Tours, you figure out once you get there for the most part, and you just go talk to a travel agent, or you talk to somebody that the hostel knows about, stuff like that. So it was a lot more calm in ways. Like, it seems like if I think about myself... It's so great that we have all this information. And now I can spend hours. It's insane to think about. I can spend hours picking out an Airbnb place. It's like, well, I want it to have a nice backyard and I want it to be safe and I want it to be sunny and I want it to be a good price and blah. I have to read every review and I'll drive myself crazy. Where in the past, I mean, yes, there's a difference also traveling at 30 and my age now, you know, I had places that I swear in Africa, there was a place I think there may have been blood on the wall, but you know, I was okay sharing a hostel room with six other people. I didn't care. So there's a little bit of that as well, but it was just, you know, in the book, there's, here's the hostels, here's the mid range, here's the high range. And you'd go find yourself a pay phone and you would call and say, do you have availability? Okay, I'm coming. And that was the end of the booking. There was no, well, it doesn't have the greatest reviews. It was like, well, it was trusted enough to be in the book. That's good. Let's go.
0: Wow. And, I totally understand what you're saying about spending all of this time reading all of the reviews. It's such a time suck and like it's really stressful. There's something about the connectedness level that we're at today that just adds so much undue stress. And it is like some of my favorite travel experiences are like when I don't have a SIM card or when there's the service doesn't work and I'm in a dead zone and I'm just not connected. And you're like, okay, well, gotta be present now. And it is so freeing. And so I think it's important to talk about that that's what travel has been like and that's what it could still be if we weren't so obsessed with our phones.
1: Yeah, I mean, and on that point, the other thing is it'll lead to more connection. Like if you're sitting there with a paper map, maybe, hopefully you at least have a paper map. I used to try and get those. You still potentially have to ask for directions. If I didn't have a paper map, then you definitely, or I shouldn't say you, I definitely had to ask for directions. And so you, ha- you know, just- Forced is the wrong word, but it facilitated additional connection because I would stop people and ask, you know, and then it became charades because obviously a lot of times people don't speak English, which also is just another fun thing that today we have translate apps and we have GPS and it's like, I don't need any of you. I'm just going to figure everything out on my own. And yet you're traveling, hopefully with the intention of meeting locals. At least that's hopefully one of your goals. And we have all of these ways to put things in between meeting the locals, where if, to your point, you don't have the phone, so you can't look at what restaurant to go to and you can't get to your map and you can't do all these things, then either, number one, you have to figure it out yourself, which builds resilience and confidence and all kinds of wonderful things, or you talk to somebody, which then and who knows what's going to happen. Maybe they all of a sudden say, quick side note, when I was studying abroad, my friends and I were in Paris. We wanted something to eat. We didn't know where to go. We didn't have a book. We didn't have anything. And we just stopped this older man, who's actually probably my age now, But and said, hey, do you know where we could eat? And he said, I do. You know what? Get in my car. And there were three of us. And so we thought it felt it was safe. You know, he's not going to attack three of us. Get in my car. And if it's open when we get there, it's my treat. And this is so many years later. I mean, I was in college and it was open. And, you know, we were starving students eating like beans and crepes kind of thing. And he treated us to wine and a beautiful meal and dessert and drove us to where we were going afterwards. And it was just this magnificent experience that I still remember so fondly. He even said, I want this to be how you remember French people. And if you meet a French person in the U.S., I hope you would pass this on to them. And it stayed with me all these years later, even though I have a bad memory. And that would not have happened if I was sitting there with Yelp reviews and Google Maps. So those are the kinds of things people are missing out on.
0: I love that so much. And I appreciate you sharing that story. And it's so true. And these are things that can still happen today when like you're not super reliant. And like one thing I want to note is your perspective is everything because I have a lot of conversations around travel and you can hear sometimes people who are new to travel There's a lot of fear, and like I understand it, but they're like, what if I don't understand the language? And then we have Zaya over here saying, a fun thing that can happen is you don't understand the language. (laughs) It's really about how you look at it. And so that's important. Go into it with an open mindset. What could happen? I have no idea. This is so exciting, as opposed to I have no idea. This is so scary.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And there's always going to be someone somewhere that will speak some kind of English, probably that, you know. You, maybe you can ask them, like when I was in China at the time, there wasn't that much English around. And so if I found someone that spoke English, I would ask them, I'd say, here's where I want to go. Can you write it for me in Mandarin? So then I have it on a piece of paper. And when I'd get in the taxi, I could hand the piece of paper over. Like there are ways that you can figure things out. Again, I'm very good at charades at this point and I I still use it. So I had charades at first and then I upgraded And I got myself a picture book. They actually was like a pre-made little picture book. And so you'd go into a restaurant, like point at a chicken and point at a vegetable, things like that. Or, you know, go to your hotel and point at a bus. And so it actually just brings you back to simple times of almost, you know, when you're a kid before you learned to speak and then as you were getting older, before you were having major things, we still communicated. You know, your parents know when you cry, you're sad. They know when you point, you want something. Like there were ways to communicate Pre-verbal and we can still use those.
0: Absolutely. I love that so much. And like you said, it builds resilience, like it helps your problem solving. When people are worried about like leaving jobs to go travel and things like that, like what if I can't get another job? You are building skills that you're probably not using at work. (laughs) These are new skills. You're gonna be more of an asset on the other side of some big extreme world travel. I promise you.
1: Yeah. I'm so excited that you're getting these messages out.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that. You've already shared some, but can you think of any memorable stories or something crazy or anything that you'd like to share from your sabbatical trip? I
1: have to think about crazy. I mean, one of the ones that was really nice that popped to mind is going back to Bali. You know, I did wear that temple top that I mentioned. And well, this is not a, a special moment, but it's just as I was driving, it just popped to mind. It was so ridiculous that the helmet that I got on my moped, and I hope my parents aren't listening to this they gave me like a batting helmet. I mean, it was not going to do anything if I actually got in an accident. And, you know, they believe in next lives. And so I think they just don't care if they die in this one. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too flippant, but I wore my, my helmet. And I remember when I went to stop and get gas, people were laughing at me and I was like, why are you laughing? And they were like, you don't have to wear the helmet if you're dressed in temple attire. And I was like, no, I actually still care about my head. But the only reason that they wore them was because it was a, Requirement, And when you're wearing your temple attire, you don't have to wear it. But that wasn't the story. It was just something that popped to mind. So as I was driving to like the high temple, like the most important temple, I was dressed in my temple attire. And, you know, the top priest for Bali, I don't remember what they're called, but, you know, they are the main person was reciting prayers in Sanskrit. And I was just standing, observing and listening. And he stopped and he motioned for me to come up on the stage with him which is completely unheard of, but he was so shocked the tourist would, number one, go to where he was, because as I said, there weren't many people around. Maybe it is now, but at the time it was definitely not a tourist attraction. It was a place that people would just go to share their offerings with this most important priest. And so the idea that I was dressed the way I should be for the temple and that I went to that trouble, he was so touched and honored that he brought me up there and we talked. And as I said, Balinese people bring food offerings as an offering to the temple, to the gods and to these priests. And so he had all kinds of bananas and he gave me stacks of things to take back with me. And I was friends with all the guys that lived in the area. They would all actually sleep in the lobby of my hotel because they thought where they lived was boring. And when I say hotel, I mean, let's picture that like, it was not a fancy hotel where I'm staying. And so I brought these back and I told them where, they, where I had gotten them and they were Shocked, they were like, "What do you mean? You spoke to him? Nobody gets to speak to him. How did you get food from him?" I mean, they were just so completely blown away by this thing, and I was as well. I knew in the moment how special this was to sit up there as he was reciting his prayers and to have that honor. I mean, it would be like as if the Pope says, "Come sit with me while I'm offering a blessing" or something like that. You know. So then they enjoyed the the bananas, these very special bananas who had been blessed by him, and so it was a really sweet moment that I really enjoyed.
0: Wow, that's a really cool story. That's awesome. I'm loving your stories. I mean, I could probably listen to them all day. So, the way that you see travel going with people really like flocking to instagrammable spots and things like that, do you have any concerns if we continue on this trajectory? What does that bring up for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be doom and gloom. There's a few things. I mean, I think you're asking about the Instagram spots. I think just in general, so many more people are traveling. You know, we're we're able to do remote work now. So there's so, so many people on the road or in the air. Travel was a, a really special thing back when I traveled. It was just, you know, it was not that common. It was something that, you know, maybe you looked forward to for the year or something like that. And not to say that people don't look forward to their trips now, but it just was not a common thing. And so I think overall, with all of the mass of people, we are using unbelievable amount of resources, because think about there's so many places where you don't trust the water. And so, you know, I travel with a bottle that has a filter in it. But if you don't, then how many water bottles are you going through throughout the day? What else are you going through? All of those resources have to go somewhere. And they weren't there before. The locals were not using these plastic bottles. Or if they were, they were maybe getting a big jug. So there's all the resource impact all of the extra pollution from all of the travel, and I'm traveling, so I'm not saying that I am better than now. I'm just you know, saying that all of us together are creating a massive environmental impact, a massive impact locally. Prices are going crazy for locals. So like one rural area in Portugal that I was looking at possibly moving to, I went on a few dates with a Portuguese man. The average person there earns 600 euros a month. The costs had gone up so significantly on housing because of Airbnbs, And people wanting to move to the area that 80 percent of his income was going to housing. And he finally decided he needed to sublet his apartment and move into a van. So this is what we're doing. We're displacing locals. I mean, the costs there were going to be not that different than San Francisco. And we are talking a rural area. The town I was looking at had one coffee shop and one lunch restaurant. That should not be the same as San Francisco. And so we're driving people out of their own place. And squashing culture in the meantime, because then the people that move in often expect the same services, the same amenities that they have at home. So now all of a sudden Bali has a Starbucks and, you know, this small town in Mexico has the German bread shop and things like that. And so, you know, in some ways it's nice that locals are getting to see other things, but I think it's more that we are, we're squashing things. And I see also not to generalize, but there's a lot of disrespect People, to your point, are going to get the picture, and they're not there for the cultural experience. They're not there to meet locals. It's about me and my experience and my picture and my friends and what I can show off. And so just to give specifics, I was in a town in in Laos that's on a river. And so a lot of people get these floats and you float down the river. And Laos is a very conservative, modest culture. And people have bathing suits on, obviously, when they're in the river. So they specifically put signs up all around town saying, please do not walk around town in your bathing suits because people were doing it. And yet, how many people did I see walking around in a bikini? And it's like, how hard is it to throw a cover on up on? It's, you know, this is not a big ask. And similarly, when I was in the Maldives, they're Muslim. they're The women are in full hijab. And so they gave the tourists, they didn't give, but, you know, there's an area that's known that tourists will be there. And so if you don't want to see people in bathing suits, then don't go there. But. The locals are still somewhat in the area. There was a woman there when I was staying there wearing a thong bathing suit. Like, come on, you don't have to go that far, right? So I am concerned that we are going to lose a lot of coal, we are going to just continue to use our resources. I don't have a picture of all of a sudden everything explodes or anything like that. But I think the locals and we don't necessarily see the longer term impacts. And so they may see short term. This is great. I have an Airbnb experience okay, maybe you do, but now your neighbor can't afford his house. Or maybe COVID comes and you no longer have income because you gave up doing whatever you were doing to get into tourism. And so people are all trying to jump into the tourism game. And there are implications of that.
0: Totally. And I appreciate everything you said. And I think it is one of, I don't want to say favorite, but like something that I do like to talk about a lot, because I think we need to bring the awareness to this topic. And I'm not saying there's a solution. I'm not saying anyone should stop traveling or anything like that. But if we're not aware of the negative impacts that our own travels are making, then like, what are we even doing? We need to, in like at the bare minimum, respect <laughs> as you were outlining.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing is ask yourself why you're traveling. I mean, if you're truly traveling for the picture, I'm not going to say don't do it. I don't know. I feel like there's some deep inner work to do then also because it feels like you're trying to get external validation. I'm not going to sit here and and criticize your listeners. But I think if you're really traveling to connect, whether it's with the people or architecture or food, we all have different interests. You're going to act in a different way than if you were there just using the world as your playground and everybody should be catering to you.
0: A thousand percent. I say that all the time. Ask yourself why, because over tourism is a huge problem. And in asking yourself why, I think it can help solve a lot of problems because if you are traveling for the right reasons, you're going to go deeper and deeper and realize that maybe you don't need to go visit 10 cities in 10 days, which is like slow travel helps with the over tourism. But like, why would you want to travel from 10 cities in 10 days? And like, your answer might be because I want to see more. And then, like, it really is pointing out that what are you trying to achieve? And I'm saying this from the perspective of somebody who used to do this and then had to figure it out for myself because I never asked myself why I was doing what I was doing. And so like, that's why it is so important to me to like share this because if we don't ask ourselves why, then we're just operating from like subconscious programming, whatever is up there. We don't even know what we're doing. We're just doing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also comes down to you're traveling regardless of any reason. You want some kind of pleasure, right? Whether you're doing connecting with locals or you're going just for the picture, you want pleasure. And if you are going so fast and you know you just get the picture, maybe you're enjoying it in the second. you know. But I don't know about the rest of you. I take pictures and I very, very rarely ever go back and look at them. And yet listen to the stories that I'm sharing of these connections I had and how much pleasure I get all these years later. And again, it's not that I am better than anyone else. It's more just if you're going to enjoy yourself, like the reason you're going is to have some kind of an enjoyable experience What can you do to maximize your enjoyment? And again, it's not all about you, right? It's and connecting. But is it going to be that I have two planned days and one unplanned day? Is it that I put my camera down for an hour? You know, whatever it is, but really think about how can I maximize my experience?
0: I love that so much. And yeah, so remember these things, write it down. I am guilty of like not writing anything down for my travels and I regret it big time. But like instead of photographing everything journal also and like that is a nice way to preserve those memories.
1: I also travel with a very small watercolor kit and I don't paint specific scenes. I will paint maybe like a sensation of like, ooh, this feels like a bright yellow with some orange dots or something like that. And then it's just fun. I'll I carry a collapsible cup and I'll use like water from the sea if I'm sitting on a beach or something like that. It's just a teeny thing that I can carry around and you know, you're stuck at an airport or enjoying a beach, something like that, you can be creative as you go.
0: Oh my goodness. I love that. Cool. All right. So let's go back to the pandemic and you went to Mexico. That's where I cut you off. So tell us more about that.
1: Yeah. So I got to this tiny town in Mexico on the South coast and didn't have a plan. You know, I had one way ticket. I thought I would stay for a week or two. To be honest, I was dragging my feet a little bit. I wasn't really, I wanted to travel, but I wasn't feeling this like, oh my God, I can't wait to get to the next place. And so I just Extended, extended. Well, then people started closing their borders. So all the Canadians left. The Americans were told to get home. And I wasn't ready. I mean, especially seeing from afar, you experienced this as well. It's like, wait, you're in lockdown and San Francisco is freezing. You're standing in line for toilet paper. And yet, because all the other tourists had left, I was in a very small hotel, but I got the best room for half price. So $35. I had a 180 degree view of the ocean. I had a hammock on a balcony. I had a large infinity pool and it wasn't connected to my room, but there were no other tourists there. So it was my pool. Once all the restaurants closed, the hotel owner let me use the kitchen to cook. So it was my place. And I thought, why would I leave this to go back to suffering? So I kept extending, extending, extending. You know, even I remember I was thinking about going to Peru next and Peru first closed to people from Asia. Then they closed to people from Europe. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get to go to Machu Picchu and be the only person there because it was still open to Americans at the time. And thank gosh I didn't go because Peru got very strict and locked down their borders and nobody could get out. So, you know, the writing was on the wall that my trip was done. There was nowhere else that I was going to be able to go. And even if I did, everybody was locked away. I mean, even in my small town in Mexico, stores often like had the door closed and would serve you through a window. And I mean, they did kooky things. We had checkpoints. This actually wasn't kooky. I thought it was actually pretty cool. Every tourist had to get a tourist ID in that town. If you were there before the lockdown, you went with your passport, you got your little ID saying you were allowed to be in town. And if you left town, you were only getting back with that ID. So that was actually extraordinarily clever, except for the fact that I only found out by accident because communication was not outstanding there. But like one was the hotel owner and I had driven out to go get groceries. And as we were driving back, they sprayed the outside of the car with some antibacterial. Like people were so kooky at that point of, you know, we didn't know what was happening. So she was from Italy. I knew she was eventually going to be going back to Italy for different reasons. I didn't really want to be in the hotel without her because she was the one that drove me to an ATM. We had no money in our town anymore. She would drive me to get groceries because there was nothing really in the town. And so without her, it just felt like somewhat risky. And then I had, I had asked the universe to kind of give me a sign and I had a pretty crappy run in with a local and I, kind of took that as a sign. And then I also could see that flights were all being canceled. Buses had been canceled because I told myself, even if I can't fly back, I can always get a bus while the long distance buses were canceled without any notification. So I finally realized, unless I feel like staying here for a very long time, I got to get out of here. And so it was a very strange, crazy time. We had no Wi-Fi. I finally went and got a data card. The data didn't work. Our electricity went out. My flight was canceled and I wasn't notified. I mean, it was like all kinds of stressful moments coming together, but I eventually left two months after I got there, except oddly with literally a carry on of toilet paper, hand wipes, alcohol, paper towels, masks were my presents for my friends, cloth masks, because they weren't common yet in the U.S. And so I got cloth masks and yeah, headed back all masked up and had to have my temperature taken the whole way along. And, you know, back with the beginning of it, it was a very strange time.
0: Wow. It feels like so long ago, but like still something can remember vividly. Yeah. Crazy. And so you mentioned you are effectively retired, but what else are you up to nowadays?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm semi-retired because I realized that things are getting expensive and I don't want to be watching my money. So Mm -hmm. I am still going to be looking to make money. And I have completely switched into my creative side. So during COVID, I said I was taking a lot of classes. I ended up taking a class called Paint Your Creative Self or paint your legendary self, excuse me. I had, I had not picked up a paintbrush since I was in elementary school, probably. And I'm now an abstract artist with a studio in downtown San Francisco. I had my first, I participated in a group show a few months ago, and I have my first open studio solo thing coming up in a month or so. I am a, an excited podcast host. I just started two months ago, and it is honestly, despite all of this travel, I think it's the coolest thing I've ever done. Not cool like let me pat myself on the back, but cool because I'm just exposed to so many fascinating humans. And in two months, it's already in 27 countries. And as a traveler, I love the idea of connecting with people without actually being there and reaching people in that way. And I was co-author in a best-selling book on creativity this year. So there's a lot. It's all... I've flipped into much more authentic, playful, creative, enjoyable, and not sure what's coming, but there's going to be a whole new chapter unfolding here. So stay tuned.
0: Love it, love it, love it. And what was the name of your podcast?
1: Your Hell Yes Life.
0: Ooh, I love it. So cool. And that's linked in the show notes if you want to go check it out. And so Zaya, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Like I am loving this conversation. I could keep going, but we'll be mindful of everybody's time (laughs) So to finish up. What advice do you have for someone who wants to travel but feels afraid to take the leap?
1: Well, my first thing is just do it. But no, I mean, you don't need to do it like we have. You don't have to go for extended months. I would say the first time I traveled solo was just to Colorado. I was supposed to go on a trip with my boyfriend. He couldn't go. And I thought, well, I'm not going to cancel. And so, you know, and I had a rental car as well. So I didn't have to worry about how I was going to get around. It's safe. It's easy. And yet, at least I started to get comfortable with the idea of solo travel. So it depends on whether you're nervous about the solo part or the international part, but you could also even join a group tour and then add on a few days afterwards. You're already there. You already feel comfortable. You already have some more confidence. And now, okay, I can just go spend four days by myself in this place. There are Facebook groups for so many locations. So if you really want, you can tap in and say, "Okay, I'm going to Portugal. I'm going to Lisbon. Let me connect into the digital nomad community in Lisbon and connect with other people. Or I'm a dancer. Let me find the dance community so that you have other people that you can maybe connect with when you get there. And that'll help you feel comfortable as well. And then just do it at your own pace. I mean, there's nothing to say that you need to go jump on a six-month sabbatical with a backpack and travel around the world. If you want to go somewhere small and easy, go there. And, you know, you said most people are in the U.S., so focusing on English, I'd say Also start somewhere that speaks English. Go to Australia, go to New Zealand, go to the UK. You know, there's many places that speak English or go somewhere that there is a lot of English. Like if you go to many places in Europe, there's a ton of English, well, in Asia as well. But, you know, so make it as easy as possible for yourself. You know, take out the language barrier, take out some of the other things that maybe scare you. You know, if you're scared about, I don't want to eat alone, then you join a group and say, hey, who wants to meet me for dinner? And then just spend the day by yourself and meet up with someone for dinner. There are ways to make it, less scary, but also be smart. You know, if you wouldn't travel or walk around by yourself at home at midnight, then don't go doing that somewhere else. If you wouldn't wear, you know, great jewelry in not a great area, don't go doing that somewhere else. So, you know, keep your smarts about you, but get out there because travel is life-changing and miraculous. And if you're listening to this podcast, then you obviously have an interest in it. So I'd say, especially your hell yes life, Came about in large part because I met women on the road who saw me traveling solo and said I could never do it. And I was so overhearing people say that that I thought, that's it. I need to start encouraging people to take risks, women specifically, to take risks, to face their fears, and to go out there. Because what possibilities are you blocking for yourself if you give into the fear, not just of travel, but any aspect of your life? So travel is a fun way. Go test this out. And then once you face this fear, the world is your oyster. You can go face your fear in any other area of your life. Yes, I love that.
0: Perfect advice to end on. And really quick, is there anywhere people can find you online
1: if they want to learn more about you? I'm mostly on Facebook. So Zaya B on Facebook. I have a Facebook group, Your Hell Yes Life, the podcast, Your Hell Yes Life. I am on Instagram, but not very active. So I have Your Hell Yes Life and Zaya.B on Instagram.
0: Okay, perfect. And that's all linked as well. Zaya, thank you so much for being here and sharing your stories. It was. So fun to talk to you and everyone else. I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to the travel possibilities podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at the travel shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.